Welcome to the Healthcare Business Secrets Show, where we interview industry leaders and break down exactly how they're dominating their markets so you can learn from the best, can double your revenue, double your impact, and double your time off. In this episode, we're talking with Nick Kuzmich. Nick is an international speaker and a strategic business consultant for many entrepreneurs. He's the founder of H2H Media Group, creator of the Art of Lead Generation Intensive, and the leading authority on Facebook and social media advertising. He's a pastor turned high-profile marketing consultant. Uh, his success has been featured in major publications such as Forbes and CNBC. He's worked with people like Joe Polish, uh, Robin Sharma, Emily Rosen, Richard Rossi, Tucker Max, as well as organizations like the Tony Robbins Group, Dollar Beard Club, Red Har Beauty, and RTA Cabinets. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hey, James. I'm excited to be here, and I look forward to our conversation today. Yeah, super excited to have you here. Um, Interesting backstory for our listeners is I've seen you around for quite a while. Mm. Me and you are kind of semi-connected through Lawrence Tam, who was an original coach of mine um, early in my chiropractic uh, career. Uh, And I've seen you uh, rise up, so to speak, in in that Facebook world well before I got into it. And now we're working together. Now I've got you on the show. Uh, It's it's interesting how these things happen. So can you give our audience a little bit of background on you? I I said, you know, pastor turned high profile marketing (laughs) consultant. I know that has been a bit of a tagline sort of thing for you before. Talk us through, you know, what you used to get up to compared to where you are now and and why that transition happened for you. Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, uh, a lot of people ask, hey, like, how'd you get into entrepreneurship? And I think for me, it was not something that I chose. It was something that was thrust upon me. And what I mean by that is I'm an only child, uh, parents of two like foreign folks who immigrated over to Canada and they didn't really have much going on for themselves, right? My dad had a small business. Uh, my mom, who's from Korea, couldn't really speak the language well. He, she joined him and they just had this little small convenience store of a business and they had one kid like me who's just trying to go through stuff. And uh, man, my father... I saw my father have his first heart attack when I was four years old. And this was kind of the beginning of us spending a lot of time in hospital. So much so that uh, I could carry a conversation with a cardiac specialist. And he asked me at the end of the conversation, where do you practice medicine? And I'm like, I, I don't. It's just, this is what life has been like. So, you know, after my father had his third stroke, which was when I was around 17 years old or so, it basically left his, his, his him blind in his left side, blind in his left eye, paralyzed on his left side. They had to give up the family business. And so uh, he couldn't work anymore. And my mother, for the first time in her life, basically had to actually find real work except for just working with him. And I remember her going out to job interviews and coming back home crying, saying, I couldn't get the job because I can't speak the language well. And so as a 17-year-old kid, I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. Like I got to take care of my parents because my dad can't and my mom can't and I've got to do this thing. So I was kind of thrust into this role of being a primary breadwinner for my family as a young age. Not something I wish upon anybody, but hey, it is what it is. But unfortunately, when you're like this young, impressionable, really need some answers kind of guy, you get lost in the world of business, right? So I joined like network marketing companies and hey, lick these envelopes and stuff them or fill out these surveys. And one thing led to another. And after like tremendous amount of failure and just like bad luck, uh, I came across or was introduced to the internet marketing world. And I put that in quotes because it's a, it's a strange industry, but I was introduced to this idea that if you can have a product, you could sell it somehow on the internet and someone will buy it. And it's a great process. So I got started doing that just a little bit at the same time. I felt like at least my worldview at the time told me that the way that I'm going to make an impact in the world was through my faith practice. And so at the same time, right around that same time, uh, there was a youth group that was local to me in the Toronto area, took a risk with me and said, hey, do you want to be the youth pastor of our little small congregation here? I'm like, hey, that's what I feel like I want to do. And so I, you know, I I was dedicated to the cause. And so 
my whole thing was I knew that the church was never going to pay my bills. And I wanted to make a decision to never take a salary from a church if I could help it. That whatever I do on my side hustle was enough to pay the bills so that I could do this thing, no strings attached and not have anyone kind of like, you know, look down my back, if you will. So simultaneously of starting this as kind of a youth pastor, I started this internet marketing gig kind of part-time to, to make a side hustle to pay the bills. And uh, as, as I kind of grew and evolved, two years later, I became ordained. I started my own church. We started growing the church. I still kept having this little side hustle of marketing on the internet working. Um, and I did that for 14 years until finally, like, I need a break. I'm going to take a year off, a sabbatical from the church. I just need a break. Uh, and during that time, I said, you know what? I'm just going to focus on this internet marketing thing to pay the bills and see where it can go. Well, gosh, that was what, 10 years ago now. And that one year break turned into a 10 year endeavor. And I went all in on the thing. And again, I think I just got lucky, right place at right time. I got into the space just when Facebook was starting. I said, this is pretty cool. Looks like there's some potential here. I dove in two feet. Um, and the rest, as they say, is history. We've been able to get some phenomenal results on Facebook and work with some amazing people like yourself and do some great, you know, great and amazing things. And, and here we are many years later, making it our bread and butter. So yeah, that's the short version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So through that time, um, it's interesting for me because, uh, you know, a lot of people that are listening to the show, they've got that same sort of thing going on. I'm doing one thing, but I'm kind of got sure. my foot in the door and something else. When you said you jumped in two feet, was that, okay, I'm going to go all in on the, on the marketing and, and, and make the online thing work? Or was that I'm going to go all in on Facebook in particular? Uh, so it was both. Um, I, I mean, Facebook was kind of the only thing I knew as online. And to me, when I define online, it's like I got a product. I got somewhere to, to get traffic from, to sell the thing and kind of go from there. So it was, it was a decision to say, yes, I'm taking time off the church thing. I'm going to focus 100% of my time, effort, and energy on online business, which just so happened at that time to be, okay, I'm going to figure out this Facebook thing and, and make it my thing. And then I got lucky again, because I started selling some courses and programs of my own. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm figuring this out. I started to realize that I thought everyone was making Facebook work. And I quickly started to find out that it wasn't everyone. And, and I maybe figured something out. So that quickly turned into a consultancy because people started asking me, hey, can you help me with my Facebook stuff? I'm like, sure, I think so. And we started teaching people. And then I had other people who were like, hey, Nick, I don't want to learn this, bro. Can you just do this for me? And I said, sure, okay. And that turned into an agency. And so to this day, all these years later, we still have the consulting arm of the business, which is more education based. And then we have the agency part of the business, which is actually, you know, doing it for clients. But yeah, it was Facebook and internet world was, was a full-time thing at that, at that time. What do you think made what you were doing work? Why was it? It can't, can't just be luck, right? So what, what aspects to it do you think that made yours work where others were struggling at that time? Because now things sure. are obviously a bit different and, and yeah. a bit more, uh, you know, savvy with it. Yeah, no, I love that question. I think was like when I first got started into the internet marketing world or the marketing world, let's just call it marketing back when I was 17, um, I dove in with like all the greats of trying to understand direct response marketing. Like I knew that that was what I wanted to learn. So I, I read all the old books from the old great scientific marketing, scientific advertising, like all the guys like the Dan Kennedys and the Eugene Schwartz's of the world and the Jay Abrahams and all these people. And so I think what was happening over that time was I was collectively depositing this understanding of true direct response advertising. And then when a platform like Facebook came out, I don't know why people didn't get it, but what I was able to do was apply the principles of direct response advertising. But what I think is what I knew quicker than most people back then was that 
how do you merge direct response advertising on a social platform? Because what most people were doing was doing old school direct response marketing on this platform. What they didn't realize is this platform was a social platform. People didn't wake up in the morning with a credit card Mm -hmm. in hand, logging onto Facebook, being like, oh, I wonder what I could buy today. They were going to like gel with other people and to get caught up on the what their friends were doing or their grandkids were doing. And so something I think just clicked in me to say, hey, we've got a social platform that's not designed for advertising per se. And then we got this understanding of direct response. The moment we brought it together, um, that's when we saw stuff really take off. And I think most people, even to this day, the people who can't really make advertising work are either one, they just don't understand marketing in general. And they think Facebook is some fancy pixie dust kind of thing that that just magically happens, or they've come from an advertising background of direct response, but they haven't understood to bridge the gap between true old school direct response and this new 2021, like this new uh, social narrative kind of thing that's going out there and being able to make it work on both. I like what you said, and, and I'm going to paraphrase it to understanding the platform. A lot right. of people don't understand the platform they're on. They play mm. the Facebook game like it's, it's Instagram or vice versa. They do sure. YouTube like they would do video with Facebook, and they're not getting the psychology of it. The easiest example for me and the thing that I've struggled with, uh, ironically with this, is Facebook and LinkedIn. Mm. People go in and do things on LinkedIn like it's facebook and it just doesn't work because they're not understanding the cadence of how people are interacting on the site the psychology even though it's the same person when you log into instagram you log into facebook you log into you know linkedin your psychology changes immediately completely yeah and so how you make decisions what you interact with uh changes and so people think well i'm just good at my thing or my thing's just good so why aren't people just buying it right it's like because you're not getting where they're at if you're at a resort chilling out, having a cocktail and someone's running up on you trying to sell you some stuff about business. And you're thinking, man, I'm here to escape business. You've right. got to play the game differently. And, and people don't do that. Talk to us a little bit about that because obviously you've got some experience of teaching people, but also as an agency and doing it for people. Talk to us about that. Understand the platform and, and using it properly, especially when you're doing uh, marketing on it. I love that. And, and so I, I came up with this fancy terminology that I call t- contextual congruence. Now, what does that mean? It means absolutely nothing, but absolutely everything all at the same time. Um, and here's kind of the, the understanding of this. To your point, I'll tell a story and then give an example and then actually kind of dive a little deeper into it. But the idea is, that, let's say it's me, you and Lawrence, right? The three of us are together, we're hanging out. And in the morning, we go to a wedding. In the afternoon, we go to a funeral. And at nighttime, we go to a bar or a club and just hang out. Now, the, the three of us, the people are the same, but how we would behave in those three different contexts are very different. We wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't behave the same way we would at a bar or a club as we would at a funeral or, or, you know, same way as a funeral as we would at a wedding. So understanding the context of the environment you're in is very important. So the example I'd like to give is, let's say, you know, you're, it's, a, it's a nice, beautiful day outside. It's a summer day. We're all having a family barbecue. Very close friends and family are getting together like we do once a, a week or whatever. And then all of a sudden, as we're there, catching up on, on the latest gossip and eating some grub, some dude walks in the back door, comes in. Not only does he like put his bags down and start getting burgers off the grill, but he also comes into our little circle of conversation. We've never met the guy before. And then on top of that, not only does he kind of interrupt the whole flow of things, but he opens up his bag and he takes out a vacuum cleaner and he says, hey, I'm trying to sell one to you. Like I, I ask people, if that were a real life example, how would that make you feel? And of course, the response generally is like, you know, I'd be very pissed like that. That's, that's not appropriate. And I say, well, why isn't it appropriate? They say, well, A, it's not the time nor the place to do that. B, it's very interruptive. And then C, even if I did want a vacuum cleaner, to your point, this is not the time to be trying to sell me one. There's a different place to do that. 
like the backyard barbecue. It's where people hang out, chill. They want to see some funny videos. They want to get caught up on stuff. Um, and we as business owners who come run and put an ad in front of somebody is just like that vacuum cleaner sales guy who's just like, hey, uh, come buy my thing. You don't know me. I don't know you. I'm going to interrupt whatever you're doing right now to try to sell you something. You know, and the, the best case scenario is that you're ignored. The worst case scenario is that you're reported, you're hated, and you ruined your brand reputation for doing that. But let's just say Facebook and Instagram, they're there with very specific intentions. Like if someone logs into eBay or Amazon, you know why they're there. They are there to buy something. It is a commerce-driven platform. So business kind of or, or payment type structures is just, just a given. But nobody does that on Facebook, right? So as a business owner, what I try to tell people is when you understand the, the context of the platform, that people are there not to buy, people are there to connect, people are there to get good advice, people are there to experience value, people are there for all these other reasons, when you can be in alignment with the reason why people navigate these platforms, you're way better off as a business owner than trying to just kind of interrupt and try to sell something. So the general rule of thumb that I say, and it's why I wrote a book called Give, is Rule number one of all, of all advertising on Facebook is you must give before you ask, mm. simply. And what does that mean to the general business owner? Well, you got to remember that every general business owner is selling something, that something is generally a solution to a problem, especially in our, in our context here of healthcare providers and whatnot. And if, if your ideal prospect is looking for a solution, well, rather than just going up in front of them and saying, hey, buy my thing or book a call or come over here and do whatever, what if instead we offered something of value in advance to say, hey, I know you got this problem. Hey, why don't you try this thing out? And then they say, cool. And then you could say, hey, well, I've got this other thing that you can give, you know, send me your email, I'll tell you where to send it or come on this webinar. I'll give you a long training about how to do something. That's a much better approach than just kind of like coming in front of people and saying, hey, buy my thing. So understanding that people require value, that people are looking to interact. When people log on to Facebook, they're not looking to interact with a brand. They're looking to interact with people. So the more you can kind of duplicate that understanding, the better off you're going to be trying to sell whatever it is that you're ultimately trying to sell. And, and I feel like that's even uh, more required these days because there are so many more people doing these exact right. things that there needs to be more of that no lie trust factor being built before someone jumps in. Whereas back in the right. day, you could probably get away with a lot more of that because sure. it was new and people weren't used to it. And I think that what we have to remember, and that's definitely something that, that I'm always working on and something I work with my clients on is, is if I'm trying to help a person, I can't yeah. run up to them and say, I'm going to help you. You have to receive the help. And especially in healthcare, sure. you can't help people who don't want to be helped. And so to, to, to get them to help themselves through you, mm. there's an aspect of, getting them to understand them, their situation, getting them to understand you, to trust you, because you could have the best product in the world and solve the biggest problem. But if they don't like you, if they don't know you, they right. don't trust you, they're not going to take any action with you. And there's so much mistrust that I think that we need to be really at the forefront of giving that value first without any, like not even, not even these kind of soft gives where it's really just an ask, sure. uh, but people are pretending to give but just genuinely giving is something that I've, I've, I've found I had a lot of success with myself. And it comes down to understanding the long game versus the short game. Yes. 100%. And playing the long game, knowing the time it's going to take you to convert that person into being a client. And, and if you're at the point of, I need clients now, uh, you're not going to get clients now. You're already, you're already late. Yeah. <laughs> you're already late. So let's just yeah. start fresh and go, okay, I'm going to build relationships from now. And I think that a lot of us, especially when we're trying to market and advertise and, and grow our businesses, we, we do it when we're not doing very well. 
and we suddenly want everything now because we're not playing the long game or as Gary V sure. talks about, you know, the macros playing it slowly and understanding, hey, things take time. And our marketing shows that. Um, right. When we're just trying to throw, you know, as you said, go and eat their burgers and, and join their party. You mentioned before, you've got to have a right offer, you've got to have traffic and you've got to have a sales process. People often sure. think, I've got this thing and I'm really good at it. Why am I not getting sales? Or my sales process is really good and anybody I talk to, I convert them, but I just don't have anybody. And they're not sure. understanding the three components of that. Can you talk to the components of that that sales process and why it's important to understand each of them as they kind of work together? Yeah, and it's a great question because like everyone asks like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? It's like, do I need a sales process or do I need traffic or do I need an offer? What do I need first to make it work? And the, and the reality is you nailed it on the head. You need all three. Let's just kind of like break it down for most people. The traffic part is easy, right? Facebook is an eyeball store. You could go buy the eyeballs that you need. You can target it. Of course, there's some nuances there, but generally speaking, you can get traffic to send to a site. And you know, if that's all it took, we'd all be very wealthy people and everything would be perfect. But the reality is it's not just traffic. So traffic is good, but only on the condition that the offer that you're offering that traffic is good. So mm. like you said, it's a busy, wide, no noisy marketplace. One thing to probably make note is like, what I tell people now is that general is the death of all things on Facebook. So the moment someone says, hey, I can help all people do all things feel better, you're, you're in a very slippery slope to, to realize that your, your offer is not going to work. But if you could be super specific. So for example, one of our clients works with women who are between the ages of 25 and 35 who have an autoimmune condition. Now, his dad is also a doctor, but his dad uh, works with women who are 45 plus who have Hashimoto's uh, disease. And so the point is like the marketing and the offer is very, very different. How you would reach and communicate to a 25 or 35 year old woman is very different than how you would communicate and reach out to a 45 plus year old woman who's suffering from something else. So the point here is number one, to me, it starts with targeting or your prospect. When you know exactly who it is that you're going after, exactly the problems that they need solving, exactly the conversations that are going on in their head, this now equips you to present to them a legitimate offer that they would be excited about mm -hmm. to say yes to. And that's the first thing. It's like, how you know, I call it a godfather offer, if you will. And why is it called a godfather? Because it's an offer they can't refuse, right? It's such a sweet deal that says, hey, if I'm putting this offer in front of my ideal prospect, Okay. I know that this is something that they're going to say yes to because they'd just be out of their mind not to. But again, that comes from A, knowing who your ideal prospect is. Once we have this great offer, then of course we could run traffic to the offer. We can get the right eyeballs to see the offer and they'd be like, oh yeah, cool. I want that webinar. I want that training or I want that learning. I want that understanding. I want that consult, et cetera, et cetera. But even if you go all the way there, you're only two thirds of the way there. Because if you can get the right eyeballs to see the right offer, and then they come into your system, but your system, your sales process is broken or faulty or incomplete, then the whole thing falls to the ground. So we've seen this over and over and over again, where we can get people amazing, highly qualified leads, but let's say it's a, it's a consult funnel, meaning they need to hop on the phone or visit a clinic or something like that to be able to close them into their thing. I remember there's, I won't give the name, there's a very large clinic that goes after a very specific demographic in the United States. They hired us to do the ads for them. I said, look, do you have a sales process in place? They said, yes, it's so great. Everybody who comes in, we close them, no problem. And they sell like very expensive, like fifty to $80,000 treatments over, over the duration of a year. I'm like, great. 
Now I didn't do my due diligence to see where that, where, you know, if they were really that good and where that traffic source was coming from. But anyway, as long and short of it is they were used to run ads. They were getting like $35 leads. It was a terrible targeting. They're just targeting everybody. We came in, we started getting them $2 leads, very qualified to their specific scenario. And they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of phone calls and they closed maybe a handful of them. And they're all complaining like, oh, bad quality leads. No, actually bad quality process, right? So we can't over or undermine the fact that there are three keys to making any process work. And if if your is like the whole example of a two-legged stool, if you've got two legs that are propped it up properly, but that one leg is missing, the whole thing is falling apart. So I suggest to all business owners, and I, I, I encourage them all the time, it's it's not a traffic problem per se. It's not an offer problem. It's not a process problem. It's ensuring that all three are in sync, that there's congruence amongst all of them, that you have a through line that goes through all that. And when you can have all those dialed in together, now you have the recipe of great success. Because most people treat Facebook ads as, like I said, pixie dust. And they're like, oh, if I just sprinkle a little bit of this, my whole thing is going to work. I mean, that's far, mm-hmm. that's the farthest thing from the truth. So you do definitely need all three processes in place. I love what you said, bad leads. It's extremely common to externalize the reason why something's not working. <laughs> sure, right. And and blame blame the leads because they can't afford it, they don't want it, they're this, that. And what it really comes down to is you don't have a good enough process for, for filtering, qualifying, right. and then providing this, this immediacy of the pain to the person so they understand why they have to take action now to then sell them into something that actually solves their problem that they want because you know right. them and then retaining them as a customer to maximize lifetime value. This is something I work on every single day with my clients. And where I, I see most people struggle when they try to get into any kind of paid advertising is where they've built a business uh, or are reliant on referrals because right. what they mistake is their skill for just somebody who was pre-qualified and already wanted it because somebody they know, like, and trust told them to go and see you. So it's got nothing yes. to do with you. Yes. It's got well, it's got to do with you and the fact that you got that other person results, but nothing to do with you in terms of your ability to attract, convert, and retain clients right. because right. they were already wanting to work with you no matter what because they got told by mum, dad, friend that it's going to work. So you can think you're the best person in the world, the best communicator, the best salesperson, and you could suck because you're just being handed people who already had their cash out in their hand because they trusted someone. They struggle because they don't get the game. And the game right. is that if you want to grow a business, you have to be able to pay for clients. And to pay for clients, you have to have a process of qualifying and et cetera. And, and I liken it to, I use this analogy all the time. So my listeners have, have heard me for a while, will roll their eyes. But it's like mm. being a commercial fisherman. Commercial fishing <clears throat> has realized that it's far more cost effective to catch every fish with giant nets and then pay people to pick the ones out they don't want than it is to go out there with a single rod, reel, and hook and catch the perfect fish. Now, certain fish, you might say, you need to do that. You know, the whales, if you will, the giant tuna. But that's not as scalable as a a fishing model as trawl fishing. To my point, especially in a healthcare practice or any kind of more mass market related thing, it's like, let's let's trawl the entire uh, ocean, so to speak, and then pick out the ones we don't want. And where people have built their business off referrals, they don't get that. And those who haven't been exposed or open to, 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 to changing their world view around the stuff tend to do very well because they get it. It's like, oh, it's just a game of capturing leads and filtering and having a good sales process. And sales for me, and, and you might add to this, is, is it begins the moment someone's seeing your stuff and mm. it never ends. 
Mm-hmm. And even if you know you're a chiropractor or, or whatever, and you're seeing a person for their tenth visit, you're still selling them into the next one. Yep. Yep. It's not a given. It's constant and never ending because you're having to put yourself uh, as the obvious choice to solve problems. Their current problem, not a past problem that now doesn't exist, but their current and future, and always being there and always helping them. And any good brand does that because they're always trying to stack value. Right. You know what I mean? Stacking the value yeah. for long term. So, real quick, how are things changing at the moment with Facebook and other online marketing that you're seeing? Yeah, it's such a great question, a loaded question, and one that the answer changes almost every month, right? So, mm-hmm. unfortunately, with Facebook and the like see people see this as an unfortunate thing, right? They're like, Oh, Facebook is always changing and Instagram's always changing. Like, how do I stay on top of it? Keep in mind that changing is a good thing. It means that Facebook is constantly adapting, right? So Facebook, you know, when they first started, it was the wild, wild west. And then people started getting disgruntled. So they put some terms and services of things you can and cannot say and things you can and cannot do that started happening. And, and, you know, with the evolution of all, well, Facebook acquires Instagram. So now there's new rules to play with that. And there's videos and this and that. So one thing I just tell anybody, if you're going to play this game on any advertising channel, especially any social advertising channel, be be prepared for constant change, right? You know, at the at the time of this recording and this conversation, the whole iOS 14 thing has come out. And now like Apple and Facebook are butting heads against each other. Look, Facebook and Apple have always been butting heads. That's nothing new. It's just now they're being vocal about it. And so drawing more attention to it and people are seeing that. So the point I say with all that is two fundamental things that I think people need to realize is that number one, You've got to be okay with the fact that these platforms are going to be changing and constantly changing. With what? Sometimes you never know. It could be an algorithm change. It could be how you distribute ads. It could be rules to play by. You know, first they had the 20% text rule. Now they don't. Now they do and get like all this stuff. You've just got to be okay with change. The moment you embrace that and just like, okay, this is going to be part of how I how I roll with this, you're going to feel a lot better. Number two, the foundation to understand is that Facebook's primary way to generate revenue is through ads. So whenever something butts up against that, you've got to be sure as hell that Facebook will do everything in their power to ensure that the ads platform continues to run and people can continue to advertise. So case in point, this whole Apple iOS thing, people are like, oh my God, it's the end of Facebook. You better believe that that is not the case. Facebook is doing everything to ensure that that's not going to be as big of a problem as people make it out to be. So right now there's a lot of quote unquote fake news about how bad this thing is. Yes. Are there some hiccups? Yes, but there's always hiccups. And sometimes it's Apple and sometimes it's something else. But the point is Facebook is making every effort and it's doing a very good job, by the way, to ensure that processes are in place so that people can continue to advertise. So as for like what to look out for, you never know because there's always something new, but you got to know that there will be changes and things are going to be difficult. And then on the other side of that, again, you got to know as much as people don't want to believe this, Facebook is on the side of the advertiser and is doing what they can to provide an experience for us to be able to, to market. Now, can you lose an ad account if you don't know the terms and you break it? Sure. Are there other hiccups along the way? Yes. But you know, at the very core foundation, be prepared for change and know that Facebook is working, doing everything they can. I think if you just go into it with that mindset, you can kind of roll with the punches a little bit more and realize that there's just going to be an ever evolution of, of what's next and how to deal with it. I think that the key understanding as well is that, uh, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, people are going to say, man, you could be out, you could, it, it only costs you that much to do Facebook ads or whatever. You had opportunity, like Google, uh, Google pay-per-click, right? It was like a cent or even a dollar or even $10, you know, and that's just exponentially more expensive because there's more competition and the, yep, the way the sure. game changes is played. Like what's the, uh, what is it? I think it was Amazon spent and like there was the top purchaser of ad, um, 
pay-per-click with, with Google back in the day, mm. weren't they? And they're okay. huge. Oh, well, back then, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. Because yes. they took advantage of it at that time and just gained the system and took over. Wish did the same thing with Facebook, right? They were just buying right. up ads. And now we're looking at it and thinking, oh man, this sucks and it's hard. Imagine that you are on the beachfront of the next Malibu and you're picking up houses for 10 bucks and you're complaining because you've got to sign some paperwork now when you used to be able to just get it for five. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. let's be real here for a second and, and understand yeah. that we've got it super easy because it will always get more difficult over time because there's always gonna be more people playing the well, game. And, more and, and not only that, but I have some great conversations with like my old school direct response marketer friends. And like, I don't think people realize if you weren't marketing back then, you don't know how easy we have it now. Because I'm talking like pre-Google days. Like imagine the days where you had to type a letter get a, a postage stamp and put it on the letter and do mail outs. And imagine like you had, you didn't know how well it would convert. Imagine you had a spelling error on your letter. Like with Facebook, however much expensive you think it is, which it really isn't. But with Facebook, I mean, you have a spelling error in an ad, no problem. Edit, fix. The ad is not working. No problem. Turn it off, run a new one. Like the mm -hmm. days of, of easy, like to your point, there were like, early internet days, which make today look a lot easier. And then there's going to be the future that's going to make today look like it was a joke. But mm. like, think pre-internet when the true guys who had to cut their teeth at real advertising that didn't like people say all the time, oh, Nick, like this pixel thing, it's giving me a headache. Like go talk to the old school guys. And they're like, what the hell is a pixel? We didn't have any pixels. Like we didn't have the ability to retarget and pay pennies to get. So to your point, James, absolutely. Like we have it so easy and no matter how hard it gets, it'll always be exponentially easier than the guys before us had it. So yeah, let's let's take advantage of what we can and know that the cost will rise. But again, that's just the cost of doing business. The golden years are now, you know what I mean? Yes, um, right, yes. <laughs> Last question, what are you seeing work really well right now with Facebook? Maybe some some hidden stuff, some stuff that you're working on that that's crushing it. Like we went through phases of, uh, you know, doing free plus shipping. Everybody was doing, sure. you know, giving away a book or whatever. And then webinars and et cetera. Things evolve and they come and go like fashion trends. What are you seeing working really well at the moment? You know, I, I think the big thing is, is, and this is not necessarily a new trend. I just, I just don't know why people are not doing it. And, and I'll explain it in two ways. First, it's understanding that every prospect sits in three speed categories, how I like to explain it. Like there's going to be some of your prospects who are ready to, to buy now, right? They just have a problem. You present an opportunity and they're like, get out of my way, buy now. Right. Then you have your traditional person who needs a, you know, 13 to 33 touch points. Let's call them a medium mover. They need touch points. They need some nurture. They need a webinar and they need certain things. And then they're willing to transact with you. And then you have other folks. And here's the reality. The vast majority of folks who just are not ready to buy now, they're in a seeker mode. And it might be three months and it might be six months and it might be a year from now. It might be three years from now before they're willing to transact with you, but they are willing to transact. You just got to be patient with them and nurture them. So I think the key here is understanding that most people, to your point, James, earlier, are using Facebook ads to really try to go after what I call the medium mover, which is let's get them into a quote unquote funnel and let the funnel do its thing. And then our job from an ad standpoint is just driving people to the funnel, fill the funnel, fill the funnel, fill the funnel. Okay, fine. But for those who can think beyond that, to realize that Facebook, yes, can it be used to fill the funnel? Yes, good, good, good uh, uh, use of it. But could it also be used to push people along the way in the funnel? Could it also be used to nurture people who are not yet ready to buy? 
Could it also be used to target people and have processes for those who are ready to buy now, those who need a funnel to move through that process, and those who are just going to be nurtured over time? So I'll give you an example of that. A nurtured over time sequence could be something like I call a surround sound campaign. A surround sound campaign simply states the rule of thumb or the standard operating procedure is that every time I email my email list with a significant correspondence, so that could be a sale, it could be an offer, it could be communications, it could be whatever it is. But the standard operating procedure is every time I put a significant form of communication out to my email list, at the same time, I also write a Facebook ad that mimics the email, if not copy and paste, and targets my email list as the audience. So now with email rates being so crap that they are, you know, send out an email, maybe you get 20% open rate if you're lucky. If you're targeting that same group with that same correspondence, what we notice is the email open rates go up because they saw the ad and they're like, oh yeah, and they open the email or at least they get the correspondence. So the click-throughs to the next thing go up. But this is just an a very simple example of a standard operating procedure that has increased the revenues of a lot of these companies because now they're not just seeing Facebook ads as a way to fill the funnel, but they're mm. using it to supplement email. They're seeing it as ways to get communications out. I mean, there are ads that I put out right now that have zero call to action, which is totally against the rec response marketing. But the whole point is they're somewhere in my world. They've clicked an ad at some point in, 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 in the life. They're not ready to buy yet. So I'm just feeding them content generally of good content because I know at some point when I do make an offer, they'll be presented to buy. So the point here is when you start, it's not a tip or trick or hack as much as it is understanding that the Facebook ads platform should be seen way broader than simply a way to fill your funnel, but a way to complement your funnel, a way to correspond with your funnel, a way to support email marketing, a way to retarget, a way to have... I mean, think about the days where people don't understand this, but if you wanted to buy a TV spot and put an infomercial in front of somebody, you're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to do that. Now you could put a thousand dollars aside, create this elegant video and put it in front of your, your ideal prospect or someone who's already in your funnel somewhere for, for pennies on the dollar. The point is you could see Facebook as a TV distribution infomercial channel. You could see it as an online publication. So rather than having to write a magazine, what if you just had these great ads of great content that you'd put out to your ideal prospect just to build that no like, and trust? So again, the point here is it's not just about driving a lead to a funnel. If you can make that work, great. That's easy, early profits. But when you see the long haul game that we've been talking about, when you can see Facebook as a holistic approach to advertising, now you're talking about some pretty powerful things that might not have immediate ROI, but when you play the long game, like no one can touch you because everybody else is just thinking about fill the funnel, fill the funnel, fill the funnel. When you're thinking about the long-term game, your returns are going to be a lot greater. 100%. And what, I, what I'm hearing is, is know your audience right? Know where they're at and, and what you're presenting to them because most mm -hmm. of these things fail because you, you're not saying the right things and you're not offering the right things at the right time. Mm -hmm. Know your numbers because if you don't understand where your, where your low-hanging fruit are in terms of conversion rates, optimizing that lifetime value and, and the time it takes someone to be a client as well right. is super right. important because if you are trying to get everybody to be clients now and maybe it takes three months and you just change your perspective, suddenly you realize things are actually way more profitable because you're looking at, at it right. over a longer term. Um, right. And then the third thing is know how to follow up. Uh, I think yes. that a lot of people shake the tree and go, oh, no fruit came down and then they run to the next one versus going, well, the apple's still swinging and then it drops off. Yes. And so if they shook it, stood there a bit longer and looked behind them and went, oh, look at all these apples on the ground. 
and pick them up just before constantly moving forward, right? The the effort to reward ratio would be far greater. But so many of us just look at things as I got to get immediate gratification. Where's the next shiny object? Something's not working, so I got to do something new. Right. Versus just yep. doing the original thing better right. and understanding the game and having what you said before. Uh, contextual congruence. Um, dude, this has been an amazing episode. I really appreciate you. Where can our audience oh. connect with you online? And where can they get a, a copy of your book? Yeah, well, fortunately, I'm the uh, only, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm the only Nicholas Kuzmich on the planet and the only one on Facebook. But unfortunately, it's not an easy name to spell. But uh, uh, on social, anything slash Nicholas Kuzmich is where to find me, nicholaskuzmich.com. If you want to chat about how we can help you, work with Nick, work with nic.com. And uh, the book is available on Amazon in every country in the world. So an easy way to kind of grab your copy there and, and get involved in our world and see some ways that you can make your advertising even better. Yeah, I've got your book. It's super good. And I thoroughly recommend everyone pick it up. Thank you so much, dude. Take care. Of course. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the show. If you like the episode, please hit subscribe and leave us a review. I'd really appreciate it as it helps us get our episodes out to more people just like you who want to know how to increase their revenue, impact more people and build businesses that work for the lifestyle they want. Now, I know your time is valuable and I know that you are here to learn the secrets to success in your health business. So I have something special for you just for checking out the episode. Now, if you're a health professional, coach, or trainer in business, and you're serious about growing a profitable, impactful business, then pay attention because as a listener of the show, I want you to win. And so I've created a host of resources available exclusively for listeners of the show. So if you're tired of trying to figure out this game of business, marketing, and sales all on your own, and you're ready to just implement what's already proven to work rather than reinventing the wheel, I want you right now to go and check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. That's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. And there you'll find over $5,000 worth of trainings, resources, and coaching available only for listeners of the show. Again, that's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. There I'll give you resources on everything from how to acquire 10 times more of your ideal clients using social media and paid ads, even referrals, how to increase your client conversion into packages at an 80 to 90% conversion rate like me, how to retain your clients for longer, getting them better results and making them happier, how to increase your prices and charge a premium to work with you and how you can build a six, multi-six, even seven-figure practice just like I did but with a tenth of the time and a tenth of the effort. What I want you to realize is that everything I teach comes from exactly what I did to have success and still have success in my own health business. And I want to share that with you so you can have success too. So go check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider right now and let me help you win big in your health business. Also remember to subscribe for two episodes every week full of the secrets to have success in your health business as well as leave us a review so we know what you thought of the show. And I'll see you on the next episode.